0: The Cubs have spent a lot of time, particularly towards the end of the Madden era, talking about all these like soft factors of like, you know, we need more organized team activities and more batting practice and like a sense of urgency and leadership. And like it kind of got old. And I think this year is all about showing up and playing. And the Cubs have done that.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch Baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by senior writer for The Athletic, Patrick Mooney, who covers the Cubs. And I seem, seem like a good reason to catch up with you, Mooney, with the Cardinals coming to town for the second five game set of the season, all 10 games between the Cardinals and the Cubs will be played at Wrigley this season. Is, is that at all an advantage for the Cubs, you think,
0: Patrick? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've kind of tried to give up on figuring out this season in general of, like, advantages or disadvantages, but uh, certainly it's strange. Uh, I think from a Cubs perspective, they just like – obviously being able to stay at home You maybe see family – uh but i think we had talked about this the last time the cardinals were in town it's just so weird to cover cubs cardinals um without fans without atmosphere without um just kind of the buzz in in the neighborhood And i mean it's it's one thing to cover you know a a pirates game in, in pittsburgh the middle of the week when school's back in session but i mean this is the type of weekend where Cubs and Cardinals fans would be like circling the calendar and looking to see if there was like, you know, a college football game in the, in the region as well. And people kind of getting together and now it's, you know, going to be obviously far different than that.
1: That's a great point. And you know, September classic September series, you think back to like last year's Mm -hmm. September series and how well, I mean, how meaningful that was for the Cardinals. They clinched their mm-hmm. playoff berth. Um, mm-hmm. They, For the first time since, what, in 98 years, they swept a four-game series at Wrigley, so they <laughs> hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, every game was won by one run. Three of the games the Cardinals won in their final at-bats. What did that series do for the Cubs? Was that sort of – I mean, it, was, it had already seemed like the Madden era was coming to a close – but did that series cinch it? What, what it? what Did that series mean anything at all to the Cubs? It, it seemed to be like their kind of last chance to get a hold in the playoff race. They were three games back when the series mm-hmm. started and then out of it after that.
0: Uh, very true. I think our friend Paul Sullivan likes resurfacing uh, Madden's quote from the back-to-back home runs. Kimbrel gave up. He said something like, poom, poom two shots to the jaw Um, Mm. I think your instincts are right in that Joe Madden probably wasn't coming back no matter what happened last year unless the Cubs like won the World Series uh, or something like that but I think the way the Cubs collapsed down the stretch kind of made it obvious to everyone uh, why there would be Uh, this as Sully also called it the conscious uncoupling between uh, Theo (laughs) and Joe, Joe Madden. Um, And I think one thing, if you're going to spin it positive from a Cubs perspective, uh, I'll remember that I believe it was Sunday when you Darvish just had that amazing outing. Yeah. Um, And then I forget who it was, but hit a ball kind of over Albert Almora's head or he misplayed it and, you know, the only reason Almore is in that game is because he's a good defender. And, uh, I remember back when they would let us inside the clubhouse, uh, Darvish kind of is standing in front of his locker and you see all this like dirt above his, his nameplate, And he kind of alluded to, you know, his frustration. And basically he threw a bottle against his, his locker Um, and he threw his cleats up there and it was just this kind of mess. Like he literally picked up a piece of, it was, I don't know if it was exactly glass, but it was just Mm. kind of this clear substance from whatever sort of energy drink, uh, he was having. And, uh, I think kind of the, the blossoming of you Darvish, you know, showing a different side of himself, his competitiveness, um, not saying it wasn't there before, but I think you could tell that he knew how locked in he was, how much he wanted, to keep pitching and keep performing and you had kind of Darvish on one side of the room and then Almora just totally slumped in his chair um kind of saying I don't know what to say guys like just totally defeated and uh as Almora who was the first player drafted by the Theo regime here um who came up huge in game seven of the world series has a lot of great kind of uh, qualities about him and his personality, but it was just this totally deflated moment that I think, um, on one hand, summed up how much kind of player to development and morale ha- had deteriorated. uh mm. really feel, but also you had this kind of you Darvish ri- rising up and really coming into his own. And I think that's part of why he's you know a Cy Young contender right now.
1: You yeah, Darvish won the National League Pitcher of the Month award for August and he faces Jack Flaherty in kind of a classic, you know, pitching duel. I mean, in a lot of ways in game one, it, it this this would be such a September if the fans were in there and if the team's records were the, you know, were remotely the same. Um, the Cardinals are have played nine fewer games and the Cubs have one more loss than the Cardinals. So it's hard to kind of equate the two and yet it's uh, a series between first and second place in the division, sort of like always Um, Darvish in a lot. I mean, he's been remarkable. Um, I'm not sure if we're supposed to say how we voted, but I voted for him for the pitcher (laughs) of the month um, because I just looked at his numbers and what he's done game to game. Um, You know, Max Freed has also been impressive there for Atlanta, but there were just a lot of areas where you Darvish stood out. How much has he, been the tone setter for these cubs not just with how he's pitched which has been excellent but also with how aware he's been about COVID-19 and how aware he's been of how important the protocols are and how competitive they like you just described are seeing him be how much is are these a cubs are how much are these cubs a reflection of him
0: that's a good question. I uh, yeah, certainly Darvish uh, was aware of this um, in, in spring training. Um, has had conversations with the Cubs about. It. I think he was, you know, straight up honest at the beginning of training camp, being like, "If the Cubs weren't taking this seriously and following the protocols, like I would already be home by now." Right, and um, I think that was because if you look at kind of who's opted out, you know, it's, you know, guys with, who've already made a lot of money, who've, who've accomplished uh, a lot in their careers who have the luxury of being able to do that. Um, But at the same time, uh, Darvish thinks his team can do something special and he does love kind of the, the craft of pitching and he feels really comfortable Even outside the COVID context, just of you know why he signed here, Um, he I believe was in St. Louis last year, like maybe two days before you saved that cameraman's life. He was saying how he credited Joe Joe Madden for how positive he had been throughout uh, all his struggles. Uh, The Cubs have a pretty progressive, uh, you know, player friendly front office uh, Mm -hmm. as they were working through some things and. Their pitching infrastructure, which is really going to be tested here over the next uh, couple weeks, has done a good job of maximizing, you know, guys we've never really heard of, or you know, guys who had failed kind of somewhere else, and they find something new. And in Darvish, you have someone who has kind of this like unlimited array of pitches and, and curiosity and this willingness to experiment. So it's been a really good good match in that regard.
1: Yeah, I just think that's – I think that's such an interesting part of these Cubs is they have a lot of big personalities, and I'm not sure if you were to, like, kind of power rank them um, (laughs) where you Darvish would fit in, and yet the more I read, the more I pay attention, the more I kind of watch, the more it became clear to me that maybe – maybe in a lot of ways that you Darvish has become sort of the the front man of the team, at least pitching-wise, in a way that, like, you used to just always assume a Lester is, like John – that's John Lester. And and maybe the Darvish has this year. And and that that's gonna be a different person. I don't think you and you you know the guys better than me having talked to them, but I don't think Lester and Darvish are gonna be confused for each other as far as personalities anytime soon.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily Darvish versus Lester, but when Darvish Right, I didn't mean to put it that way, yeah. But no, but you you were onto something in that there was this kind of Darvish walked into situation that was kind of um awkward because there there was some confusion about his medical diagnosis there had been a lot of kind of ingrained um what's the word I'm looking for just kind of the guys who had still been around from the World Series he essentially replaced uh, Jake Arrieta, who had been just so instrumental, you saw it to kind of what the Cubs became, and he was just yeah. kind of swaggering you know, presence. And there was a l- little bit of tension. I think it kind of spilled over. Um, believe it was in St. Louis when A-Rod uh, was kind of questioning Darvish, which was totally unfair uh, on the broadcast, kind of saying. That it was. was. Hinting that he was kind of, milking the injury or, you know, he should be, uh, in Arizona, um, in the 110 degree heat, working to get better when, um, you could very easily make the other argument that if he had gone to Arizona, someone like a rod might be saying, Oh, he quit on his team. He deserted them. He's not supporting them. So, uh, there was definitely a rough, uh, adjustment period. And I'm kind of curious, from your perspective, I'm I'm trying to handicap this division here. And I think, I don't know if the Cardinals have it in them, but there is this kind of opening because after you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks, there's just a lot of question marks in this Cubs rotation. And and I'm wondering if they kind of have enough pitching here, you know, down, down the stretch. And if the Cardinals still will have enough in the tank, the rest of September to kind of catch the Cubs here.
1: Yeah. I'll answer that question. Thanks for the segue as soon as I tell folks about our sponsor. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design specializes in custom closets, pantries, laundry rooms, garages, and more. Now get 40% off plus an additional 15% off. Closets by Design. 314-733-9855. That's 314-733-9855. Closet by Design, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. I think it's interesting that if the Cardinals sweep this series, right, say they go five and zero, oh, which has probably never been done. I guess we'd have to get in the way back machine to figure. Well, I guess it's been ninety nine years since the last four game um, since last year, so five game probably off the table. But that they wouldn't catch the Cubs, you know, they would be at nineteen and fifteen, and the Cubs would be at twenty two and and fifteen. So, you know, I mean, they'd be right there with them, snug beside them, um, but they'd still be behind them in games played. Uh, which speaks to what's ahead for the Cardinals. They have six double headers in a 14-game span coming up. Um, If any team, and I'll say this carefully, if any team can survive it, it's probably the Cardinals because of their pitching depth. I mean, one thing that they do well is they identify and develop pitching, and they are trying to keep it now. They have to make a lot of roster moves, a lot of waiver moves, where they can have some of those pitchers peeled off, and they recognize that, and they're trying to, trying to get to a point where they can maintain them, keep them, put them back on. but if not, then they still have, I mean I don't they don't want to get to this point, but they still have a guy Zach Thompson who was pitched, who was drafted last year out of Kentucky, who's wow. really good. Um, now they would they would prefer not to start the options and start the clock and start all that with him, but if they got to get there, then they do have that kind of quality guy from the left side who they can turn to. They've already turned to Oviedo. You're going to see him this weekend. He's a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's one of their one of their rising prospects. But entering the season wasn't a top prospect. Probably exiting spring training was about to be um, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, but they they just have they have a real good way of handling. Um, they have real good depth to begin with. They're really good at developing pitching. Um, and then they have kind of a plan marshaled by Schilt and Maddox and Moselock in the front office to kind of maneuver pitching around. So it, they, they have the pitching to cover innings. Um, it's, it's fragile though, you know, one wrong Mm -hmm. inning and all of a sudden the whole thing could be the, you know, pardon the pun, but a house of cards. Mm -hmm. Um, but they could pull it off and we're, what they don't have though is like, how do you chew up that many wins to catch the Cubs? Cause the Cubs will still be playing at the same time. Um, and yeah. you got to sweep doubleheaders, not split doubleheaders. You got to, um, you know, Minnesota's coming to town and Minnesota is a terror. And now yeah. imagine Minnesota in two, seven games, you know, two, seven innings games um, <laughs> I'm still getting used to saying that, yeah. but that that's four innings fewer against that team to figure out a way to win it. Um, you know? So, I'm not sure that the Cardinals, I think the Cardinals want to keep their head above water. They, they kind of want to survive, not thrive, mm-hmm. um, but they're good enough to survive and get in the playoffs. And then everyone's schedule resets and yeah. they don't have those doubleheaders. They don't think they might have to go to Detroit to play a doubleheader, but mm-hmm. they don't have those doubleheaders in the back end so that they could kind of set up their pitching if they look like they're going to be in the postseason. And, it's, and I wonder if then they're more of a, challenge than say right now Uh,
0: that makes sense i think i just personally after covering lots of night games at bush stadium or on getaway days going back to when the cubs were bad or when the cubs were good there was just this like creeping feeling of you can't count the cardinals out Mm -hmm. and that's what David Bell
1: said in Cincinnati. He's like, I've learned my lesson. You don't, you don't ever like, no matter what baseball throws at them, you just don't count them out.
0: Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad he said that because I feel like, you know, sometimes you just kind of over exaggerate or uh, internalize uh, these feelings when you're kind of on under the gun, trying to get out to the airport. Um, but just all the way going back to uh their, their world series year there when the cubs uh i think it was a carlos marmal meltdown helped them kind of sneak yeah a into pinch the runner and out. a wild pitch yeah yeah exactly and then uh i believe the cubs had their like rookie hazing dress-up day a meet like a few minutes after and i can still Ugh. see the vision of this cubs coach with like almost literally steam coming out of his ears and it was such a I know symbolic moment for someone who was just beginning to cover the Cubs Cardinals rivalry. Uh, yeah. It's an image that I'll kind of, you know, never forget there.
1: I was always struck by, and I, I thought that it was really interesting through the years to hear Madden talk about how the Cubs had to learn to compete against the Cardinals. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, and i I remember it almost was like his step-by-step process. And I have no doubt that some of what informed that was his fondness for the Cardinals, his boyhood fondness for the Cardinals. Um, I mean, he holds Bob mm-hmm. Gibson and Stan Musial in such high regard, and always did. When, when on the rare times he came in as Tampa Bay's manager, and then of course when he came in regularly with the with the Cubs, he he would often tell stories or bring that up, and mm-hmm. um, you know, in his notion there early on was like you got a young Cubs team that intends to be a contender, where you know, but one of the things they have to learn is how to how to defend their home, you know, Wrigley against the the team that owns the division and that's the Cardinals. And then I remember in St. Louis, he said, one of the things the a young team has to learn is how to win games here at Bush stadium. And Mm -hmm. we have to, you know, we, we have to win games first before we can win a series and maybe it's win a game here this year, win two games here this year and learn how to do it so that next year when we're contenders, we win series. And then, you know, then it was the year, you know, 15 where, okay, know that you can play toe to toe with them. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they did, um, they knocked them out of the playoffs. Right. And then in 16 was the whole, um, what was it? The Tony Soprano line, right? Like the, where he, <laughs> yeah. he was vigilantes. like, the the vigilantes. vigilantes yeah. in the dugout? Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I thought that was fascinating because in the course of four years or maybe three years, I guess it was three years, he had completely flipped the script, right? He had gone from mm-hmm. worthy underdog, the scrappy team that's learning how to beat the team that has the throne. To we can play alongside them and maybe create a coup um, and overtake them, which they did. Mm-hmm. They just didn't mm-hmm. for the division, and then you know it was no. Now we can paint them as the villains. <laughs> like, yeah. This is amazing, um, and I I just really I. It's one of the more fascinating, like kind of long-term things that I've covered mm-hmm. Um, just to see that develop. Um And, and I, and I was struck by that two days ago when I was talking to Mike Schilt. Well, we all were talking to him on the zoom and everything in the back of my head, you know, I'm asking him, but like, how do you, how do you play all 10 games at the Cubs? Right. You know, what's that like? Mm-hmm. And they, they play it off and everything. And I got to thinking, like, are they really playing it off? Or does this really bother them? Or are they just like, are they happy to be playing? That kind of thing. And it dawns on me that they've never thought, like, well, we have to learn how to win there. They've never had that thought.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) They've never even had that conscious idea that, oh, well, we have to figure out how to play against the the first place Cubs and the team that is one of the best in the division. We have to learn how to play. They, they never have that thought. They're just like, eh, yeah, I mean, we've been there. We've won there. You know, yeah. Eh, I mean, we swept that four-game series. I mean, they just don't – that doesn't enter into the Cardinals' psyche, and I found that fascinating.
0: Well, yeah, I think you're right on with Madden in that uh, his genuine fondness for the St. Louis Cardinals, and you have to remember this is not someone who, like, played 10 years in the big leagues and kind of – take some of this stuff for granted i mean he's become That's rich rich and famous beyond his wildest dreams and there was definitely a psychological component to how he spoke to the media and how that could kind of filter a message to some of his players um i think he kind of viewed um the media as almost like a stakeholder in what he was doing and that he um, could kind of use them in certain ways. Not that he was being disingenuous. I mean, he's a great dude, great guy to cover, uh, really interesting, but he he did kind of, um, you know, use the media in, in certain ways. And then I think uh, a real practical lesson was what he had learned in Tampa Bay of like bringing those young race teams into Yankee Stadium in right. Fenway Park. Yeah, and he had seen... Kind of how they had reacted, and could see that you know growing confidence within the group, and you know the whole 1908 thing, you know, had really hung over uh, a lot of teams, like the 2008 team with you know kind of Ryan Dempster and Mark DeRosa and Derek. I mean, just some uh, a really terrific team. You know, great Absolutely. leadership. You know, really. Uh, a strong lineup, you know, good, good pitching, but you know, they really um, felt that weight on their shoulders. And I think part of it was just like how young some of these Cubs were in 2015 and 2016. Like they were just kind of from a different generation. I don't think they really paid nearly as much attention to it, but they also had Madden being the one in the dugout at Bush stadium or in the uh, office of the visiting clubhouse there, you know, taking off some of that pressure and I think it was a a bad Sunday night game uh in st Louis where Madden had said it was either 15 or 16 I can't remember which off the top of my head but being like we have to learn how to win here and the uh you know the bats kind of went went missing I think that it was 15 weekend. 15. It was 15 yeah and I remember then they, that. they go to New York and uh he brings in Simon the magician like he he had, yeah. I think yeah. they had like either <laughs> they had an off day or whatever And basically he made the traveling secretary uh, furiously find a professional magician to bring into the clubhouse before uh, the next game. So uh, yeah, stuff like that, you know, it just won't be the same I mean, David Ross is great to deal with and he's really interesting and brings a lot of valuable perspective you know, if you're a beat writer covering the team, but in terms of like the the showmanship and really feeding mm-hmm. into that rivalry, I don't think anyone's going to ever top Joe Madden. Well,
1: so that's what I wanted to ask you about next was what's the difference between a Ross team and a Madden team. What are some, and you kind of touched on it there. Could you elaborate on, on what, what are some of the, the, I guess how the Cubs have changed because their manager has.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating question. I I really wish we were able Zoom to is spending, orbiting, huh? yeah, yeah, to spend more time in the clubhouse just kind of uh, observing. Um, and I think it's really important to not take everything as trashing Joe Madden, who is a legend uh, in Chicago, who is probably a Hall of Famer, and who is still genuinely liked and respected by the players um Mm -hmm. there wasn't um but certainly you know the fact that ross played in the big leagues for as long as he did matters and um obviously mike schilt has kind of navigated around that joe madden had but i still feel like for as much as baseball coaching and instruction has progressed over the years there's all these different voices and kind of Uh, maybe unconventional hires are are being made the fact that you played in the big leagues gives you a ton of credibility walking in the door that Mm -hmm. other people just can't can't bring it and that um ross i think really leverages that of knowing what it's like to be in their shoes uh the fact that he's been kind of getting in guys faces, uh, for most of his professional career. Uh, he can be ornery. Uh, he can be very emotional. I mean, he kind of teared up talking about, uh, Jason Hayward's decision to sit out, uh, last week, um, after the, the bucks led the walk out of the, in the NBA bubble to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, protest police brutality and systemic racism. So he's, he, there's a lot of dimensions to him and i think you know some of the stuff he says you know could be very similar to joe it's just like you know different voice new message and the cubs had been kind of boxed in in terms of the budget that was given to baseball operations and kind of the fortunes of where some of these players were in their career that is they didn't have a ton of trade value like the, the cubs didn't have that many cards to play from the end of last season into this season and changing the manager was one and i think it's been really well received within the organization i mean ross has um one he didn't need this job he didn't have to take it he kind of took a risk in um signing on and he's really immersed himself in, in the organization you know throughout the offseason you know spending weeks and weeks at the rigley field office building meeting with r d uh it continued through the shutdown of you know running simulated games and um he just kind of got he kind of knows who he is he knows what his strengths are what his weaknesses are and um it's been for a, a beat writer i mean you'd appreciate this like it's nice to be able to ask someone who like actually played with anthony rizzo or like is great friends with john lester or like had seen Kyle Hendricks before he had established himself or, you know, really knows the front office really well and can speak to what uh, they're, they're thinking and has a really uh, historical view um, or a nice perspective of kind of what the Cubs were, what the Cubs are and what they hope to be.
1: How does he balance being friends with guys and being a manager with guys? That was something that Mike Matheny to Mm -hmm. a certain extent had to do. I mean, he had, he hadn't, Played with a lot of the guys who were on the roster, Molina most famously. Um, but he, I mean, most everybody that he played with had been cycled out by the time he came the manager. That's not true with David Ross. However, Matheny did have a lot of relationships. Some of them were based on, um, you know, a shared spiritual feeling. You know, I mean, he mm-hmm. got to know guys through um, his Christianity and their Christianity. Um, as as friends and as fellow you know fathers and things like that. So um, that was something that he had to figure out. How has Ross juggled that aspect of having to be John Lester's friend, which he'll always be, yeah. and also the guy who takes him out of a
0: game? Well, I think you start with the fact that the guys who are still here who Ross played with, there's a reason they're still around. They're either – you know, exceptional players, or they, uh, had shown so much that they have, you know, huge, huge, immo- immovable contracts. Um, you know, for the most part, you know, these are the guys the Cubs have kind of built around and, you know, from Ross's perspective, he'll say, you know, I've always had these tough conversations and that's something he had done with, you know, Anthony Rizzo of who Anthony Rizzo is, um, a really, is this humanitarian, Uh, he's funny, he's a well-rounded player, but I think there are times where he's kind of, you know, a little goofy. And, you know, in between the lines, he's always locked in, but, you know, he's not that natural kind of fiery leader, and that's something that Ross, you know, as a player, had kind of pushed Anthony in in that uh, direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when, you know, Jason Hayward is trying to process um, the social unrest in our country. Um, just these horrific images of black men being shot. Um, he knows Jason, he knows Jason's family. He's known him mm-hmm. since he was a young guy in the Atlanta Braves. So that, and also kind of the, the protocols the pandemic anxiety, the fact that he knows these guys well, I think has really helped, his ability to just kind of lay things on the table and not kind of dance around these really heavy issues. Like when they one of their <laughs> first meetings at Wrigley training camp, you know, he, uh, called out Craig Kimbrell and, um, mentioned his daughter who had gone through multiple heart procedures and he could, he wanted to make that point of what you do, uh, outside the stadium doesn't just affect you or even the guys in the clubhouse it is this kind of ecosystem of people who are dependent on you following these protocols and making good responsible decisions and i'm not sure if he'd be able to do that if he hadn't you know played with Kimbrel and had such a strong relationship with him
1: that's interesting well or it wouldn't have carried as much gravity it would have just True. been yeah. an example it wouldn't have been a like a personal plea, right? Yeah, like he, exactly. he made the plea that Kimbrell wouldn't. Right. I mean, that's yeah, exactly, yeah. that's kind of yeah. what he did. Yeah. That's fascinating. You know, I, I mean, it, that, that, that is, that's remarkable. And it kind of speaks to maybe what, you know, obviously the Cubs couldn't have guessed that this 2020 season would be like this, but sort of, but it does speak to the the guy that they wanted in that spot um, for this team. Which kind of leads me to the question is, like, is Dave Ross a good manager for this team right now when it's winning and it has these players? How is he going to be as a manager of a team that struggles, that is remade? Because that's on the horizon for the Cubs, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it almost doesn't matter what we think or what type of team it is in that there was this kind of audience of one Theo Epstein who had seen this for David Ross for years that he thought he was going to be the next great manager in baseball. We have no idea if that's true or not. We don't really know what's coming around the corner, but Theo really, uh, believed in his leadership skills. Um, he constantly referenced this idea of tough love and being able to have the tough conversations. And that's what Rossi's been doing uh, you know, for his whole career. And, you know, I think it's you know, you've kind of seen it in St. Louis or really across the game of uh the kind of Tony LaRussa, Lou Piniella, even Joe Madden to a certain extent. Like those guys are kind of disappearing in terms Mm -hmm. of the manager being this like omnipresent figure figure in the organization it's really is more of a a middle manager and someone who can collaborate and that is something that uh david ross has shown kind of a, a willingness or an eagerness uh to do and you know i think if i have my math right i mean he technically is under contract longer than theo and i think what you're getting at is kind of the you know, biggest question around the Cubs is like what does Theo do after twenty twenty-one? Personally, does he stay on or not? And then how do you kind of rebuild this team that has some, you know, superstar players about to become free agents? You have a kind of bottom tier farm system. Uh, you have a pitching pipeline that has produced zero impact draft and develop pitchers since 2012 Uh, and then just the the whole uh, the whole business model of of wrigley field and the satellite businesses which are all built around mass gatherings and right now we don't know what 2021 will look like uh if there will be a vaccine or therapeutics or kind of you know mass scale rapid testing and the cubs have already felt this. It was last week when they began laying off people in their baseball operations department, um, mm. you know, double digit numbers. We're talking about scouts. Uh, I think it was at least 20 in player development. It hit international operations. And so these are people who helped, you know, bring the world series trophy to Chicago and they've already kind of started, uh, you know, deep cuts there. So I think the Cubs are kind of trying to enjoy and appreciate this moment here in September, you know, being in first place and having a pennant race. And there is just this huge reckoning, not just for the Cubs, but for the entire baseball industry coming on the other side of this.
1: Yeah. Earlier in this in this summer, you know, I had I believe it was Gordo, Gordon Whitmire, who was with the Sun-Times at the time and now has gone to fame and fortune in TV. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And uh, and I just yelling at screens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that hasn't changed. It's just that now people have to listen to them. He used to just yell at his own team, computer <laughs> screen. Uh, the he's never going to listen to this. So um, but the question I asked him was, and you, you know, it, it's almost like you just uh, detailed the lattice work behind the question: is that if the Cubs were at a fragile point, I thought I wondered if they, if that word described them. You know, just this this stretch of time, not just this th- season, but sort of this wraparound in the next year if they were at a fragile point, just because of those finances. I mean, here was a team that was going to launch its own network this year and did, Mm -hmm. um, but amidst a pandemic. And that's a lot of investment up front, a lot of capital investment up front for a return on the back end that now is different than they could have calculated, right?
0: Yeah, I think fragile is a great word to describe it. I would hedge it just in this sense that the Cubs will say, essentially every major league baseball team, certainly the biggest ones are trying to do what the Cubs do. So it's not like the Cubs are kind of out on an Island with this idea. I mean, you see what ballpark village has become sure in St. Louis. I think there's an acknowledgement that this is just going to be a bad year for their new TV network. There's no possible way it could live up to uh, their best case projections. Uh, They had done it with the idea of wanting to control their own destiny. That was kind of an idea that drove them to buy up all these rooftop buildings around the stadium and not really knowing where um, kind of consumer habits and the future of TV would be going. They wanted to kind of have it all under one roof instead of uh, divvying it up with the White Sox, Blackhawks, and Bulls. And Mm -hmm. so... Um, I think you can also see too, like this is going back to the kind of labor negotiations and in, in the return to play uh agreement, like the teams always have way more levers to pull than the individual players. And that's why I always felt that it was you know so disingenuous about how some of these uh salary structures were presented to the people who'd be taking the actual risks on the field. Absolutely. And you saw it, you know basically the week after these um, the slashing of baseball operations and only uh, I think it was three days after Jed Hoyer on a zoom with us uh, right after the trade deadline saying, you know, this was not an area where we'd be chasing uh, you know, kind of big ticket items or adding a lot of money because of uh, our COVID financials. You have the Cubs, you know, announcing this sports book that they're going to build in Wrigley and this you know darren Ravel, breaking news all caps uh deal with draft kings and so i i think the cubs have over time demonstrated a capacity no matter uh how bad the team is no matter how repulsive some of their off the field uh actions or beliefs may be they find a way to make tons and tons of money and so It'll probably, I think they'll find a way, but I think the on-field product, uh, I think Theo and Jed are going to have to um, get on a hot streak You know, if they're going to kind of reshape this team uh, on the fly without like a deep uh, rebuild. Or just you know spend money on the guys who've done it before in Chicago instead of kind of guessing on whether or not they right. can handle Wrigley Field. You know, keep sign Chris, Chris Bryant, sign Javi right. Baez, develop some pitchers. Right out well, that won't Darvish. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think they're not, they're not the only one in that boat of being like, like, Oh no, like everything we thought about this industry might be like collapsing in front of our eyes.
1: Uh, I do want to ask you about this year's team, but I, but you touched on something that I thought was fascinating about this trade deadline is in through the through the kind of telescope of the negotiations where it was like, well, there isn't any revenue coming in. We have to be aware of every single cost they have to share. The players have to share the burden of this mm-hmm. cost. We're not going to have any fans in, you know, and it, I mean, and it does look like they're going to go the whole season without selling a single ticket with the mm-hmm. exception of, say, like rooftop viewing or ballpark. Viewing, yeah, um, which is some revenue for the teams. So you have all of that as the backdrop of how every revenue stream, but say the broadcast had been absolutely, you know, the spigot had been turned off for so many revenue streams. And yet at the trade deadline, teams were able to get private planes for players like like, yeah, (laughs) I just I just thought of like the optics of that, of the of the owners saying we're not making any money we have to be aware of every single cost we're putting people on furlough we're laying off people we have gone down to a skeleton crew as far mm-hmm. as ballpark operations but in order to make this player available as soon as possible and not put them in sort of risk of breaking our bubble
0: mm-hmm. yeah we
1: can afford a private jet for them. we can do that I mean, and I get it I get it but it's just it was such a weird contrast
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, just the fact that, uh, you know, these tier one personnel are getting tested every other day. I just saw, I didn't read the whole article, but I saw kind of a headline about, you know, the Pac-12 forming some partnerships so their football players can get tested regularly. And it's like, (laughs) where... where is it for the teachers who are going back to school now or are, you know, grocery store workers or, um, baseball said
1: it was going to, I mean, that would be a real good, that's part of the CBA is to make their testing available to first responders. It would be fascinating if they expanded that to teachers in major league cities.
0: Yeah. I think all of this has required. And, uh, we talked about this last time at Wrigley field and, uh, you've done a great job of detailing kind of all the dimensions to this season and how How do you balance, like, you know, Jack Flaherty through six innings and allowed two runs and, like, you know, um, the offense is kind of struggling at this point versus, you know, all of these heavy real-world issues that are not just us projecting it it is literally what they're talking about in the clubhouse it is literally right. part of their day-to-day routine whether it's you know covid or some of these uh social issues the kind of economic strains that are certainly felt by you know uh people who are I don't know exactly about each alternate site, but if the people on the alternate site are still have their jobs across baseball, they know that their colleagues are getting whacked. And right. People who are working on kind of one year contracts in general, it's just a totally uh, kind of mind bending environment some, to try to do something.
1: Some young, some young players are going through this current schedule and not making any money. Because they were already fronted all of their money.
0: Right. As part That's of the right.
1: agreement in March. So, like That's a right. young guy like Jack Flaherty, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he 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 was fronted the equivalent of his prorated salary for this season. So he's going through all these <laughs> protocols. He's going through a third spring training, only this time the games count. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, how much risk is he taking every time he throws the ball because an injury changes not just this season for him, but mm-hmm. rewrites his career. And, I mean, it's just – it is a fascinating time. I During this last homestand, the Cardinals had 12 games in 11 days, and um, it was an opportunity, and I, I love it. I, I'm sure readers do too. They get probably tired of reading my game stories. Um, they're like, all right, finally, Rick Hummel. Man, talk about an exhausting season. We've had to read all these ghouled game stories. Finally, <laughs> Hummel has some game stories. And so that that freed me up to do other stuff. And in three consecutive days, one day I'm writing about um a global pandemic. The next day mm-hmm. I'm writing about, you know, racial injustice and violence mm-hmm. and players wrestling with a protest and mm-hmm. what to do there. And then the next day I'm on the phone with the Board of Election Commissioners trying to figure right. out how they turn Bush Stadium into a voting place. I'm like, I I I I really enjoy one of the things that I got into sports writing about well first of all it was baseball but mm-hmm. one of the things that I really appreciated about sports writing when I was in school was I I was doing news and it was like okay you do things on your beat and now things have changed this was the mm-hmm. Paleolithic era um, mm-hmm. so many years ago but they were like okay you you cover stuff on your beat if you're on the cops and courts beat you cover cops and courts and you're breaking news and everything mm-hmm. like that if you're on the ga you're breaking news if you are on the city council beat you're covering city council meetings and things like that it's like okay but if i'm on the sports beat i'm writing features i'm writing columns i'm covering games i'm traveling i'm doing analysis Mm -hmm. i'm doing i I get to play in every little sandbox of journalism yeah as opposed to having to master one sandbox to get the chance to move to another one um Mm -hmm. and i really like that about sports And that's what this year has been. It has been constantly like, all right, what thing other than baseball am I going to cover today and try to understand um, and try to be fair? And oh, yeah, by the way, you're also going to cover it at a time that has been more divisive than ever. And so whatever you're going to write is going to anger a good swath of people (laughs) who are then going to fill up your... um, inbox or twitter or chat or whatever with all kinds of stuff um so it's been a it's been a fascinating year in that regard and in some ways a terrifying year in some ways a exhilarating year and i i appreciate what you what you said there that that means a lot because it's been like a challenging year um but also one to I, i mean i've got a chance to learn so many things Um, And not the least of which is also how awful I am at doing interviews on Zoom um, versus (laughs) having conversations with people. Um, So face to face and reading body language. And, um, you know, it's like, all right, well, I just got to embrace the new norm. And, you know, every so often on Zoom, you know, it's okay to interrupt. Um, And I'm trying to get better at that, too. It's just it's been it's been interesting. Um, the product on the field for the Cubs, uh, riddle me this. They hit two twelve at Wrigley Field. That's what they hit as a team. Mm-hmm. How how do they have uh, such a robust record?
0: Well, let's see, they've had their lineup has been really odd in that they've gotten almost nothing out of Javi Baez and Chris Bryant relative to expectations coming, or really even relative to like kind of bare minimum, minimum major league uh production, but you know, Ian Happ has emerged as this kind of uh MVP candidate. Uh Jason Hayward is in locked into one of his hot streaks. Uh Schwarber's been, you know, pretty solid. Same with Rizzo. Um they made some additions at the trade deadline. Uh old friend Jose Martinez and Cameron yeah. Mabin to kind of lengthen the lineup and give them some more options the the pitching kind of carried them on the the front end uh Tyler Chatwood and Alec Mills who have one's now injured the others regressed but they uh gave them a couple quality starts right out of the gate you have Darvish and Hendricks setting the tone and you know Lester on balance is still I think a guy you you trust and will will still um you know be reliable here down the stretch they've kind of Figured out a way with the bullpen, even with Kimbrell struggling, and even without, you know, adding, you know, kind of a big name proven guy to the mix, they do seem to find a way to piece together uh, a bullpen every year. And so uh, the defense uh, has improved. Uh, That was something kind of the end of the Madden era. It seemed like things had kind of regressed and i think ultimately like this season was all about getting off to a fast start they did it and now they can kind of uh tread water so to speak and just kind of get by like that was a huge deal and i think it helps that they've known each other a long time i couldn't imagine you know being a first year manager or being a team like the Reds that kind of threw a lot of pieces together um, and even as talented as those guys are. And even if every move in a vacuum made sense, I think it's really hard to get the cohesiveness that the Cubs, you know, it's funny how you talk yourself into things during these crazy times of (laughs) it was at the winter meetings, kind of the end of the Madden era. It's like, you know, change is good. And, you know, sometimes just to mix things up and then Cubs don't really do too much. And then the world shuts down and then it's like, Hey, you know, it's great that we, we know each other really well and we have cohesiveness and, you know, we have these bonds that have built for years. So, you know, it's all kind of this state of mind that I think Theo's front office really took it seriously in terms of COVID, Mm -hmm. um, Ross, um, really brings a lot of people skills and energy and positivity to it. And, you know, the Cubs, I feel like we've seen them so long that sometimes you start to see the, the shortcomings more than the, the talent. And I think that's kind of the nature of watching a team every day. But I think when you take a step back, um, and certainly looking across the National League right now, I mean, outside of the Dodgers, there aren't any like super teams. And so, right. um, yeah, it's kind of kind of where they're at.
1: Yeah, it's You brought up COVID protocols. I should mention that we are recording this from different places. Um, we're in the same city, but we're apart um, here <laughs> at your place. I'm at my hotel. I'm not allowed to really go anywhere but the hotel and the ballpark. So I'm sticking to. Um, the the city policies and doing everything possible there. Just as you are, we're not doing this in person. We're not uh, we're we're seated um, at a social distance of several miles.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. yes.
1: So I should, I should I always forget that I should mention that. Just I'm in mean, like,
0: undisclosed look. location, not too far from Wrigley Field. So
1: I am at a disclosed location <laughs> right along uh, the Marina Towers. So I basically oh, nice. look out my window to a Wilco album
0: oh right that's oh nice nice yeah
1: um so uh, yeah that's that's pretty nice um but i but i don't go anywhere like i can't i have to get everything take out and follow all the rules and try to find places it's been so it's been interesting because i try to find places that like okay do you have a window where i can just stay on the street and order and pick stuff up and that's or or delivery or things like that so i've i've Learned a new side of Chicago, which has been interesting. One of the players said, you know, Chicago's a great day, great place to have an off date. And it is because you can go exploring and we can't do any of that here, you know, this time around. So yeah. it is part of that. What? So, I mean, how the Cubs record is really good. Um, and as you mentioned, the Dodgers have as many wins as the Cardinals have played games. So the Dodgers <laughs> are really good. Yeah. The Padres are super fun to watch. Um, and could be really good. Um, Watched their game against the Angels last night with Clevenger's debut. Um, That tells everybody when we're recording this on Friday morning before the start of the Cubs series. But are the Cubs, like they have a good record, but are they a good team?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you kind of got to go off the record here. I think the Cubs have spent a lot of time – particularly towards the end of the Madden era talking about all these like soft factors of like, you know, we need more organized team activities and more batting practice and like a sense of urgency and leadership. And like it kind of got old. And I think this year is all about uh, showing up and playing and the Cubs have done that, you know, I think. And while someone like Ian Happ is kind of, you know, maybe beyond their expectations. There's a lot of guys who've done it in the league for years. I mean, there's still um I think it's about eight eight guys who were on that 2016 World Series team. You have guys who've won uh, in other places and, you know, while they're not a perfect team or like a wire-to-wire dominating team, I think there's certainly enough there to get to October and like be interesting and, you know, who knows what's going to happen by that point, what a bubble uh, would look like. But I think you got to give, you got to give them credit for whether it was like, you know, on the road finding hotels with big open outdoor spaces that could function Mm -hmm. as like player lounges to kind of the way certain players like darvish and Hendricks, you know stayed on these really good throwing routines in arizona during the shutdown to you know, someone like anthony rizzo uh kind of realizing the uh, window is closing here and like cubs hitters had these like zoom meetings during the shutdown like breaking down episodes of the last dance not saying that a dynasty like the Bulls were, but, you know, they know Chicago, they know the market here. Um, mm-hmm. It was kind of, you know, a little, you know, it's not like they totally grew up with Jordan the same way that maybe you or I did. Um, so it was like interesting in that regard. And just the idea of kind of history and legacy, I think that certainly has you know kind of factored in here too. And I think there's reasons to think that they could get better. Like, I don't think, Javi Baez and Chris Bryan are like you know 600 OPS hitters, and you know I think we criticize you know Jen Theo and you know you point to this free agent or that free agent, but the body of work over time you know is pretty good, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably the biggest difference. A ring. Yeah, I think if you look at how much the Cubs Cardinals rivalry has changed, I think it's gone from. Uh, this kind of sense of dread to now where you know you Cubs kinda threw their hands up in the air last year, but it was still they were still in playoff contention until the final weekend of September. And like if that's your down season, if that's like your reckoning, that's you know, a, a pretty good uh overall body of work.
1: I find it interesting that you mentioned earlier that the the Cubs have not had a significant pitcher that they've developed internally, that they've been able to then deploy into this rivalry. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Cubs are facing a five game series where they will face Flaherty, Hudson, and mm-hmm. Oviedo, three play, three pitchers who the Cardinals have developed. And that's sort of been their calling card. You hit on the last question that I wanted to ask you. Um, you even use the phrase. And I, I wondered if, you know, given, you know, sort of that backdrop of, of what, you know the the bulls documentary and just the attention that brought to such a remarkable time in chicago sports um mm-hmm. such a remarkable collection of players um certainly you know that the the same kind of thing in 05 with the Sox mm-hmm. to, for one side of the city that was a magical team to to bring a championship to that side for the first time in a long time um and then of course what the cubs did in 2016 is this the last dance of the cubs or is 2021, or you know, is it going to go on for a while?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm I'm wondering if the the way the budget looks for next year and kind of the way the trade market maybe shrinks, um, and as naturally risk averse front offices kind of retrench and kind of use COVID maybe as an excuse to not really go all in. I'm wondering if they kind of roll the same team back out for next year in a lot of ways. And I think they could do that. They could tell themselves that, you know, it looked and felt different that at the end of last year, that the Cubs are uh, this chirpy, obnoxious team by their own admission in the dugout. And they had really talked about energy as something that had been lacking uh, this kind of world series hangover that seemed to last for seasons. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't think it's unrealistic to think, um, we see a lot of the same group, uh, next year. And that I think maybe a fuller appreciation of how great that 2016 team was. I mean, until, uh, the last couple of weeks, the Cubs <laughs> hadn't really replaced Dexter Fowler and Ian Happ, you know, uh wasn't necessarily cemented as the everyday center fielder, you know, coming into this year. He kind of earned that. Uh, you had someone like Jorge Soler who had hit almost like 50 homers a couple of years later as this kind of like part-time player. You had Ben Zobrist at the height of his World Series MVP powers, uh Jake Arietta yeah. coming off a Cy Young Award season, getting uh as Chapman. Like that was just a really dynamic, versatile team and i think we all One, the cubs had sold everyone this idea of it's not about you know 1908 it's about winning multiple world series and mm-hmm. um that's something you know they have to say when they're charging uh the you know high ticket prices when they're losing 100 games and writing off multiple seasons but i think that's kind of where the game you know has been heading of just always focusing on what's next and always valuing the future and talking about runways and windows when what they did is really really hard and it was a really really special moment in time that really i don't think will ever be a- eclipse around the cubs it just it just can't be you know there's just not going to be another moment quite like that and that obviously 108 years I think you have um, a likely Hall of Fame president of baseball operations, a likely Hall of Fame manager in the dugout, this great collection of young players who were kind of oblivious to a lot of these outside factors and were just kind of playing. And, I mean, you were there for, like, that whole 2016 playoff run or at least the World Series Mm -hmm. there. I remember we were hanging out. Like, that was – just a global event that truly was a World Series. Like, there are people yeah. around the world, generations of baseball fans paying attention to it. And I think all getting all those forces to come back together again would be almost impossible to imagine.
1: Yeah, it was, it was remarkable. I mean, yeah, I was glad to have been there to have a chance to cover history to, uh, to have the, ch- the, the opportunity and the challenge to try to write it, you know, so that mm-hmm. it was as memorable as the moment. I always liked that challenge. Like, can you rise to the occasion and write something on deadline that lasts as long as, or at least alongside, um, you know, the, the highlights and the visual and everything like that. And, and, and also it was interesting because it coincided with my cousin's wedding. And All so right. one of the off days I was able <laughs> to actually go to the rehearsal dinner um, Cause she lives out in West Chicago um, where my mom's side of the family is from. And um, you know, I was there and got everything done real quick and then we got to go out to the rehearsal dinner and everybody wanted to talk about the Cubs and you know, their <laughs> wedding was set for um, to coincide with one of the games and they were kind of braced for the idea that no one would watch, their, their wedding, they would all be on their phones watching uh-huh. the Cubs and do they need to change the time of the wedding and how to do that and everything. Um, you're right. It was not just this global thing. It was just this captivated, this region and, and generations and everything. I do find it interesting that, you know, you, you mentioned Theo, uh, likely Hall of Famer as a, as a builder, and Joe Madden, possible Hall of Famer as a manager. And it, 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 there's got to be a Hall of Fame player that emerges from that group And the Cubs without Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant are going to be different. When one of those guys plays for another team, that's going to be different. That's going to be a different feel around here.
0: Yeah, I think kind of in that order, you have Bryant who, I mean, I can't overstate how much hype went into that kind of selection and rolling out um, of like a distraction from how bad the big league team was Mm -hmm. and how far away the idea of meaningful baseball at wrigley field seemed and to his credit he's never had one embarrassing moment uh off the field um he had the great st louis's boring line i'm sure that might trigger cardinals fans but otherwise someone who always says the right things, who's really honest, who's interesting. I mean, playing
1: to the crowd there. Yeah, so
0: I mean, he plays um, at a really high level. Uh, he produces whenever he's healthy. And uh, I think, to be honest, has been taken for granted. I think it'll be kind of one of those things once he's gone, maybe he'll be fully appreciated. Uh, you have Javi Baez, just this um, totally kind of – You know, player you couldn't, like, make up uh, in your imagination of just how, uh, you know, skillful he is, how uh, charismatic he is on the field, how introverted he is off the field. I mean, this is just someone who, I mean, Cubs fans just absolutely love watching him play. And I think it would be really hard to see him somewhere else. And Anthony Rizzo, who's kind of this new, like, Mr. Cub, who has, you know, who played in the pre-renovation wrigley field and dressed in the old clubhouse and sat through trade deadlines where his friends and best players were being traded away and who's really made a a mark in the community what he does not too far from your hotel there at Lori children's and Mm -hmm. other hospitals in south florida but i mean you're talking about someone kind of in that ron santo mode who was this rainmaker uh for juvenile diabetes um and was kind of became known uh i mean he was a hall of fame level player uh but was kind of known for his broadcasting unique broadcasting style and also what he did off the field for i mean it, it was millions upon millions of dollars that he brought in to help a cause that was obviously very personal to him and so i think they have these looming emotional financial uh decisions i think maybe some some of this covid stuff uh and the financial fallout maybe make some of these decisions a little easier or gives them some more clarity. I mean, Brian's talked about how he, you know, he's a new father. Maybe that changes the thinking, but I think you also see, uh, you can already see it like they're never going to have a good as it was as good as it was in 2016. When you're looking at, you know, Jake Arrieta has obviously is not the pitcher who, who won a a Cy Young um, and, you know, kind of, stared down the Cardinals there a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the angel, I think Joe Madden landed in the great place for him, but the angels are one of the worst teams in the league yeah. right now and are going to have to figure out how to maximize uh trout and, 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 Otani over the next couple of years. That's not going to really see. and Rendon. Um, you've seen, I mean the personal cost, the, um, the way in which, I mean, Addison Russell had the year of his life and then obviously his personal life unraveled and he served a, a suspension under MLB's domestic violence, uh, policy. am um, just thinking around the diamond, you have guys who've, who are kind of out of the game, uh, already, whether it's Miguel Montero, uh, you know, Jason Hamill, some of these, uh, John Lester's okay. nearing, uh, the end here. So, um. Yeah, I don't, last dance. I, I don't know. I, I think we'll probably see some of the band uh, back together. But knowing how Theo operates, I also can't rule out the possibility of just like an offseason where they kind of, you know, maybe blow it up and just say, we need to go in a, a di- different direction for a, a lot of reasons.
1: That's know. Patrick Mooney, senior writer for The Athletic. Thank you very much for joining me. Mooney, I appreciate it. Uh, I have to say though, I I am a little disappointed in the chirping from the Cubs press box. I mean, we are we have a little folding table down on the concourse. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we're we're really the visiting riders are ripe for some really good chirping and some 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 uh some heckling from the press box and you guys just don't deliver. What's up with that?
0: Uh I mean, we could certainly make that happen. Uh I will say it's just Obviously not the same. I mean, it's hard. Like, it's just, you know. You don't
1: want to taunt me on deadline? Write faster. Fewer gerunds. <laughs> well, you know, we just. What's with the adverbs? It, Enough with the adverbs.
0: I I feel like whether it's at Bush Stadium or at Ruby Field for these Cup Cardinals games, you know you, if, if it's not your exact lead, maybe in the second or third paragraph, there's some scene in the crowd that you're writing about, whether it's like Addison Russell diving into Nacho Man or just the, <laughs> the, no, the noise, mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, Craig Cameron's about to give up like back-to-back bombs or whatever, or, you know, uh, a huge home run that like leaves the stadium, like the crowd, the fans, the energy, uh, the interaction with, you know, visiting writers to kind of get a sense of where the other team is at. You know, it's really, it's gone. It's hard. It's certainly missed. And, you know, hopefully uh, by next season we can do that and we can, you know, uh, go to a place like Jack Patrick's after the game or Absolutely. whatever around Wrigley and like all these things, The tra- well, the travel is obviously a grind, um, it's just invaluable to, to what we do and not being able to paint, those scenes firsthand in the clubhouse or the, you know, so yeah. much of the body language is cut off with these like, you know, shoulder level zooms. Uh, it's it's oh, yeah, definitely awesome. missed. So yeah. We'll yeah, trip I think at back you to st- this weekend.
1: All right. I look forward to that. And and, and I'll, you know, I think back to last year covering that four game series and, you know, the game story I wrote after the fourth game was entirely based on the half you know, full discarded champagne bottles that the Cardinals just absolutely ignored. I mean, like 10 <laughs> yeah, of yeah. them were yeah. unopened and, you know, they had this toast for clinching a playoff spot and, you know, they got, it was like less than a minute. They, they left, Um, they, they left bottles on touch. They went to pack and Paul Goldschmidt went to get a workout in because he's like, I got 25 minutes here before the bus and we fly to Arizona. I need to work out. I'm going to go do that now. <laughs> and you know, you, you, you can't get that sense on a on a Zoom and you can't get that. So I, I look forward to the fact that maybe the Cubs will be loud enough this weekend. I count on them to be loud enough that I can quote them from the dugout, not from the Zoom.
0: I mean, you probably could. They I mean, they pissed off the Brewers, I'd say, like maybe the second or third inning of game two of the season. <laughs> and there was this awkward <laughs> benches clearing kind of posturing. So that's where really said. The tone and I think with uh an overloaded schedule here and Cubs Cardinals, um I, I would not I don't think that's out of the question that we can get some something good here this week. Great.
1: Yeah, yeah they that's right. They they ticked off the Brewers and the Reds and so it's the Cardinals turn.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Thanks Mooney before we go I have to let everybody know about our Sponsor, get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's one 800 E S I G N. 1-800-BY-DESIGN. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in ba- baseball. You can find all of Patrick Mooney's work at The Athletic. He writes for The Athletic Chicago, but his stuff is good enough that it just permeates the entire athletic site he uh, covers the cubs but also does a lot of stories that really touch on other mlb themes Um, i encourage people to go check out his work there you can find the best podcast in baseball along with all the cardinals coverage at stltoday.com and of course in the pages of the st louis post dispatch bpib is available on itunes where you can listen to individual episodes download individual episodes You can subscribe subscriptions, make the sponsorships possible and sponsorships make this weekly podcast possible. Also rate and review the podcast. I do go back and read all the reviews to know what direction to take the podcast in next. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to seeing you at a distance at Wrigley. Um, I will be working on my zingers to hurl back at you guys. How about that?
0: Sounds good, Derek. Look forward to uh, seeing you here this weekend and uh, keep up the great work.
1: Thanks. Thank you so much. Same to you. Thank you